What's up, everyone? This is TJ Hernandez, your director of DFS at 444, and this is another rebroadcast episode. Uh, this one is episode 104, where myself and Holden took on some listener questions. In this replay, we really drilled down into some concepts on uh, specific games and some specific bankroll strategy. And quite a few other interesting, uh, really informative topics. If you haven't signed up for 4 for 4 yet, make sure you get on the site now. Our early bird pricing is still available for a couple of days. Uh, Next week, we will have our first new DFS MVP episode of the season. And I might continue to sprinkle some of these rebroadcasts throughout August, depending on how you guys feel about them. Uh, But for now, enjoy this replay from August of 
cash game viable players and then players that I'm going to be overweight on in GPPs. Pretty much essentially that is my player pool. But one thing that I will note is that any player that is cash viable is clearly part of my GPP player pool. And uh, once I narrow down that cash lineup to uh, my my player pool, then uh, those are my core plays. So the, the those are going to be the best values, the, the top plays, whether it be a high volume running back or a quarterback in a really good spot. Uh, those are going to be my core plays and it just depends how many lineups you're playing if you're someone that plays uh, one cash game lineup and then you'll maybe only play a three max then how you approach your core plays is going to be a little different you might just be mixing in a couple uh, dart throws with maybe five or six values whereas if you're playing more like i said someone like like myself or somebody that uh, is just playing like 150 max well they might do exactly what you said set your highest exposure to those players if you're playing something like 150 max uh, you might not want more than something like 50 or 60 percent exposure to your favorite plays those are the core players again uh, you're going to build even if you're playing gpps you should build a relatively small a pretty concentrated player pool but some of those players even if you have a concentrated player pool say you have a 35 40 player player pool uh, some of those guys you might only want in five percent of your lineups Uh, some of those guys you want in something like 15 to 50 percent of your lineups Uh, that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about core plays Uh, there's not a rigid definition for it. it it really depends how you're building your lineups and, and what your goals are. The way I look at it, it's, it's the players that I'm pretty much locking into my to my cash game lineups and then uh, maximizing my exposure with. Yeah, and there's no definitive number either. I just mm-hmm. want to throw that in there. One week there could be three, the next mm-hmm. week there could be six. Yeah, and we'll have a couple more questions if when we get uh, along here that actually kind of tie back into this. So, uh, Techno Brad, if you're listening, don't uh, turn it off now that we answer your question. There'll be some more to help help you answer this. All right, at Private Pookie, it's an interesting one. Hey, Private Pookie, <laughs> what's up, big man or lady? Uh, I have a very small bankroll, one hundred dollars. What is the best way to optimize it? Love it. Because you know what? I think most of the people that play DFS have a small bankroll. And maybe for a lot of people, $100 is a big bankroll too. Right. So, you know, just you can say, oh, very small bank. It's $100. You know, it's something you put in there. You're looking to have some fun. TJ, what's the best way for him to have fun and win a little money? All right, so uh, if he's saying he has a, a bankroll question for me and it's $100, I'm assuming that that's going to be his $100 for the season. Now, some people, uh, I've explained this on the pod before, but they'll discuss the fact that maybe they play, maybe they might just throw $20, $50 a week uh, in some random contests and, and they're not really thinking in terms of bankroll. They think that that is their bankroll. Obviously, before we get into that, if you're if you're able to replenish your funds, say you're, you think your bankroll is only $100, but you can throw an extra $20 a month uh, at it if you need to replenish, then you should be calculating your bankroll as such. So you should be considering your bankroll as 180 because you could replenish 20 uh, four times throughout the season. But uh, assuming that you are someone that can only dedicate this $100 to DFS, the first thing I do, whether you're playing $100 uh, as your bankroll or if you're playing $10,000 a week, the first thing that anybody that's trying to adhere to some strict bankroll strategy is uh, set up some kind of fun allocator. I use Microsoft Excel um, and I've set it up so basically that I could plug in what my bankroll 
macros every week and all of my my spreadsheets automatically going to tell me how much I could play each game depending on my game mix. One thing that you, you can note is that if you are on a slightly uh, smaller bankroll and you can do some replenishing, but it's it's not an exact science. So you, you don't know if you're going to throw an extra 20 or 50 a month, but you might be able to throw another five or 10 bucks at it uh, if you have a bad week. Then in those cases, I would say you could be a little more aggressive on your smaller bankroll. And that's coming from a perspective of something like I talked about a couple of podcasts ago, a 80-20-10 mix. So 80% of your money in cash games, 20% of your money in GPPs, 10% of your money total in play. So let's assume that you are someone that starts with $100. You don't plan on replenishing, but you can throw maybe five or 10 bucks here and there. In that case, I would say you should start week one, play 15% of your money in that week one. And I'm going to stick to that 80% cash game, 20% GPP. Because especially when you're on a small bankroll, if you fire off 50% of your money and play, even if it's $1 GPPs, it's very easy to have a week where you don't cash at all. And that's how you start going broke very quickly. So let's assume that 15% of money in play equates to his $15 of his $100 bankroll. That's $12 in cash, $3 in GPP. Now, this is a very specific situation. I I harp every week or or very often on how my favorite games to play are head-to-heads. But in this case, uh, you don't have enough volume where you can play a bunch of head-to-heads. That's going to add a lot of volatility to your game, even if you have a lineup that is, is in the top like 60 or 70%. If you're only playing five or six head-to-heads, it's very easy to run into five or six lineups that are in the 75th or higher percentile. So in this case, I'm going to take my $12 cash games, and I'm probably going to make three lineups. Uh, I'm going to make three of them, and I'm going to look for single entry games. So I'm going to look for a $1 or $2.50.50 that's single entry and put my lineups in each of those. And then because I'm on a relatively small bankroll, I'm going to play these same lineups in two or three uh, single entry. Again, we're really looking for these single entry because that's how you get yourself on the even playing field. I'm looking for these triple up games. This is plays very much like a cash game, but you might only be playing against three people or it might be uh, something like um, the top third out of 12 or something like that. They're going to play like a cash game. You don't have to change your lineups, but you're going to get that extra dollar or two when you're at this level. That's really going to help increase your potential buy-in later on. And then I'm going to take another $3 with those same lineups, put them in some boosters, some 5X contests, some 10X contests. A lot of times these are going to play very similar to cash games. So that's our $12 in cash games. And even though it's not just 50-50s, they play very much like cash games. It's going to give you a little bit of a boost, even if it's a dollar or two to your bankroll. And then what I'm going to do for my GPP allocation I'm going to look for these 25 cent, these bigger booster contests. So you start getting some experience building uh, lineups in GPPs. 2,378 is the field right now for these 25 cent bigger boosters. And I think you could play just simple variations of your cash lineup, add a little bit of volatility in terms of uh, stacking and some under own plays. And you'd be surprised how well you can do in a contest with less than 2,500 people. If you hit, you might have 40, $50 added to your bankroll. That's a 50% increase. And then I'm going to play some of these kind of what I call my dart throws. Again, 25 cent contest. If I play three or four lineups, I'm only allocating a dollar. And these are more the classic payouts, uh, a traditional GPP 
style. Again, go look for, get out of the, the main lobby, get out of the features and you're going to find these classic payouts if you sort by buy-in level. And again, DraftKings happens to have their booster and their traditional 25 cent contest set at 2,378 in the field. So you have $2 to play with, which might not sound like a lot, but uh, overcoming that size field is, is not as hard as it sounds and it gives you a lot of upside. So uh, when you're dealing with the small bankroll, there are some different considerations and it's going to look a little bit different than a traditional uh, bankroll strategy might if you're just playing head to heads. Um, but, but I think that's the way to do it. And don't uh, poo-poo the twenty-five cent thing. It's it's a great way to learn how to multi-entry GPP. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we're talking about three twenty-five cent contests, seventy-five cents. You know, also, don't forget the they have free contests too. Yep. Don't throw away that either. Like if you're trying to if you're playing with a hundred dollars and you're trying to hone your skills, take everything. Yeah. Take the free games. Hundred percent. Twenty-five cent games. There's there's. 10 cent games, I think, right? Definitely. I don't I, think I, it's a FanDuel, yeah, is it? I, uh, DraftKings definitely has yeah. a 10 cent. They have a 50 cent, like really big contest. Yeah. I would, I would look for the smaller player pools. That's why I mentioned getting out of, um, getting out of the feature lobby mm -hmm. and just going to the, the tab. I'm, I'm just talking about DraftKings here, but uh, whatever site you're on, you could find something similar. Just go to tournaments or just go to, to the multipliers and then just sort by your buying level. And you'll see uh, some of these smaller contests, like less than a hundred people. And it's going to give you some really good experience. Like you said, the free contests, depending on the site, there's sites that offer beginner contests. So you have pretty much no uh, risk of running into sharks. So if you take advantage of all those things and, uh, and and play this way, then you're going to. Uh, I think you're going to find that your bankroll is going to going to grow pretty quickly. All right, good. This is my favorite one. Thank you for the question, Private Pookie. Here's my favorite question, at at Riser fifty one, guys. Small field single entry tournament strategy game selection. So, I've I've told you I'm a big single entry tournament uh, guy. Even, you know, I won't even go up to three max or 20 max very often. I'm like a, a one lineup. I'll throw it in there. I'll throw my cash game lineup in one. I will get into another single entry and I'll take my cash lineup. And we talked about core plays, right? And I'll take, you know, two or three players that were in there. and I'll just pivot to a player um, around the same salary that I think mm -hmm. that I was very close to putting in my cash lineup, but decided to go a different way. And I'll just make it a, a little bit different maybe the floor is going to be a lot lower but the ceiling's a lot higher by just tweaking with it uh, this is a great question tj because single entry tourneys um are really the way to go for a lot of people it really is and uh and this is uh riser 51 he didn't uh specify what stakes he's talking about here he just said small field single entry so you will find a lot of single entry tournaments in the feature lobby uh the problem with those is, is a lot of them are still because they're these feature contests going to be 10 20 100,000 people in them uh and you're obviously not just going to throw your cash game lineup in there and, and hope to win the thing you might cash uh but pretty much almost impossible to win in those contests so what i'm i'm trying to define here is if we're playing small stakes um or higher stakes now if you're looking for these small stakes contests again similar to the last question what you're wanting to do is is get out of the feature tab and look for the game that says um a five dollar booster or five dollar 100 player or five dollar contest and again I'm, I'm just looking at DraftKings here uh, but a lot of these these games that say booster or 100 player or five dollar contest or 25 cent contest they might not specify 
in the title of the game that it's single entry, but if you click on the prize or the game, you'll note in that game lobby, it will say no multi-entry. Uh, so you can find single entry tournaments that aren't marketed as single entry tournaments. And if you're playing those, say you're playing a $5, 100 player contest on DraftKings, I think you can just simply play your optimal lineup. And and what I mean by that is probably the game you're playing, the, the lineup you're playing in, in 50-50s uh, or whatever cash games. And the reason for that is that those games are probably going to attract some some lower quality players because they're lower stakes. And, and this probably isn't as true as it was a couple of years ago because people are getting sharper. But at the lower stakes in these single entry games, these people probably aren't going to be quite as price sensitive as you think. And unless there are some some crazy values, as much information as there is out there, 100 man contest is kind of my rough unscientific cutoff point where I think a, a cash game lineup can win pretty consistently where even if people are are kind of on the similar chalk, you're still going to get enough variance between uh, the non-obvious plays where your cash game lineup can take down a 100 man contest. Now, as you move up in stakes, if you're playing something like, I, I think DraftKings last year had like a 777 single entry with like 122 people, uh, there's going to be a little bit more incentive to to add some variance to your lineups to add some stacks be slightly more contrarian because you're probably going up against a lot of sharps but at the same time these these sharps they're also playing um they're also very aware of the same things you're aware of. So I don't think you need to go completely off the rails just because you see Osmo in there and obviously he knows who the best values are. All these guys are there. There's a lot more game theory to it. So I think whatever core plays you've landed on, you could stick those in there, even to get some of the best players in the world and just kind of add a little bit of variance and uh, maybe a couple stacks or, or like I've talked about in past pods, if you have two similarly um, valued wide receivers and one's going to be way less popular, maybe go with him in a game like that. But I don't think you're ever going to have to get too far off of your optimal plays in these type of contests. Yep. Again, when I go into a, a single entry tournament, I was just playing baseball, too. I play a lot of baseball <laughs> DFS to try and build my bankroll for the football season. Mm-hmm. And that's just basically, that's just tons, yeah. of, tons of cash and small, um, you know, single entry here. Let, let me see. Single entry is a way to go, man. Yeah. I mean, if, whether you're playing, I mean, unless you're you're specifically chasing qualifiers or uh, the millionaire for the status of it, and you have the bankroll just to kind of throw away. I mean, I don't think anybody is comfortable throwing away uh, 150 max at, at any of those higher higher stakes queues. But you'd you'd be surprised how many guys that are are some of the biggest winners in the world don't have the best ROIs because they're going after those things. So um, there's there's plenty of players that are simply playing cash, single entry, smaller. Uh, field contests that are are very profitable that uh, I talk to on a weekly basis. So it, it's definitely a not a bad idea if you're looking to grind out a profit. All right, let's do this. Let's get to um, fantasy underscore Ronan at fantasy underscore Ronan. Thank you, Riser51. Um, question here. How to approach my FanDuel Friends League, 10 teams, where the winning score is around 168? Uh I mean, this one's simple for me. Just throw, whatever your optimal lineup is, uh, throw that in there. 
Uh, I don't think you have to get, uh, you don't have to get cute on these at all. Uh, I have a lot of friends that um, hit me up every week to, to ask about these leagues because uh, they're probably a little more popular uh, in the fringe DFS community than they are in the hardcore Twitter uh, or subscriber community. But uh, there's a lot of guys that I know that plays these, play these with their friends because they get out of the, the games where they feel like they're playing a bunch of sharks. But if they are these fringe guys, they're a lot of them probably aren't using lineup optimizers. Uh, a lot of them probably don't even know that you can pay for access to something like a four for four. And I know that for a fact because my friends that asked me to help them with these lineups, um, I still haven't got them to subscribe to four for four and their friends definitely don't know about it. So if you're throwing your, your optimal lineup, especially if you're a four for four sub, uh, whatever your best cash game lineup is, there's probably a good chance that lineup's going to dominate those type of leagues. Even though, even if the payout structure isn't set up like a cash game, even if it's only paying out, uh, the top three out of 10, uh, and it's first place heavy, don't, don't, you don't have to worry about the payout structure in, in that situation. Uh, an optimal lineup or, or your optimal lineup is going to do very well in those type of leagues 168 is the winning score huh yeah i mean uh, you you think about i mean for with with average players only 10 um or or novice players with only 10 people your your cash line for a random double up uh now that we move to flex instead of a kicker on FanDuel, probably around like the 130 mark so out of only 10 people i'm not surprised that that's relatively low all right, and then we got at Common Man DFS. On three entry max GPP tourneys, is it best to stick to a core or compile three totally different teams? So I'm looking forward to what you say here because I'm going to say this. I think you can't go wrong, or you can go wrong both ways, but I'd actually, I have no problem going either way. And I know that guys go, some guys do stick to a core and some guys go completely three <laughs> different teams. So how do you do it, TJ? I'm interested in knowing. I, uh, this is probably one of the best things you can do in DFS, no matter what contest you're playing, especially if you're, um, yeah, no matter what contest you're playing is download your, your history each week and look at what the best players in the world are doing. Um, a lot of these guys, it's, you know, their screen names, they're very popular and their strategy is going to vary by contest. I don't think I've seen more variance in strategy amongst the top players in the world than at the high stakes three max contests. And it, I mean, it makes sense. You only have three bullets, whether it's a, a 200 man or a, a 20,000 man, you, your options are very limited. I don't sway from my 150 max theory of that. I I'm just trying to be right once or twice. I'm not trying to be right uh, 20 times. And what I mean by that is if I have a, a relatively small core of players or even just my cash game players, what I'm going to do for three max contests, I'm going to take those that very small core of players and I'm going to have three different stacks that I like the most. And the reason for that is because if my core hits, then I only need one of those stacks to hit. If I have one stack or three different stacks with three different dart throws on all of those teams, two or three dart throws times three, I need to be right on my stack and I need to make sure I got that stack with my dart throws. And it's not going to be comfortable because you're 
obviously not going to cover your bases, but you're just really trying to maximize that variance uh, in terms of, of range of outcomes. And yeah, you're probably going to go on some pretty lo rough losing streaks if this is your only way of playing. But when it hits, it's going to hit hard. And when that stack hits with that core play, uh, it, it's going to um, it, it's going to be a real nice payday. And the if you do have a concentrated core, maybe just two cash game lineups and you're rotating your your stacks with like one or two dart throws the difference in the price of your favorite stacks is kind of going to take care of how you allocate your core players to those lineups obviously there'll be some decision points but if you have an expensive stack a cheap stack and a, a medium range stack and that's don't force that but i'm just using it as an example then your core players are going to kind of naturally fall into place around those um so that's a long way of saying I, I like to stick to a core with three different stacks. Yeah. I like, you know what I've been doing um, when I do play three, three entry maxes, I'll do that with two of them. And then the third one, I'll just go off the rails, you know, yeah. it'll be a completely and different lineup. The, the core will not be there. The stacks that I use in the other two will not be there. And that's okay. This is not pertaining to any particular question, but might satisfy kind of everybody. And this is a, a lesson that, uh, past four for four scribe Chris Raybon taught me is like, I always have a yellow lineup or lineups where, uh, I just play some super low stakes. So every week I play the $3 20 max on, on DraftKings, especially if it's a week where I'm not playing a 150 max contest. If I just find a bunch of like high stakes, single entry and three max games that I like, I'll still just play the $3.20 max because even though monetarily I'm not getting exposure to all my players that I, I like, um, psychologically I am. So even if you only have $100, <laughs> even if you only have $100, take 50 cents and make two lineups with some YOLO players that, that you don't want to commit to. But And then psychologically you have exposure to those players and, and I think it really does help in the lineup building process. All right, thank you for that uh, question there at Common Man DFS. All right, TJ, let's get back to some more questions here. Ah, Jayhawk Chalk 89. That's right, buddy. That's right. Fellow Jayhawk right here. Um, is there <laughs> an edge to playing on multiple platforms? And if so, how does bankroll management defer at all? Before you uh, answer the question, can yeah. I just say this? Like, I sprinkle in a little bit of, um, of Yahoo, but... For me, I'm a lot more successful on one site. One one site, little on one, a little on another. That's it. There, so there's definitely something to be said for understanding the nuances of each game. And if, if you're a novice, it could be a little overwhelming. Um, something as simple as, as the differences in picking your flex on, on FanDuel and DraftKings with the full PPR and the bonus versus a half PPR with no bonus. Uh, those nuances are going to come into play but assuming you have equal knowledge your equal comfort across all platforms all scoring systems uh i think you can find the edge by not focusing on one site and for a lot of reasons if it looks like a player pool is softer on a site and we don't have a ton of options right now but with with sites like yahoo and fantasy draft uh popping up then uh in theory that should start to happen because obviously everybody only has can only be so many places at once if for whatever reason you think a player pulls softer definitely uh you can create a monetary edge by chasing i mean if it look for rake last year at the end of the year yahoo started offering these rake free contests and those were the only tournaments i was playing at the end of the year if you haven't played on another site before um you can you can 
uh, find bonuses. Um, that's free money in your pocket. That's an edge that isn't player related. Uh, better game selection. Some some sites just have better structured tournaments in terms of payout. Some sites have better structured tournaments or options in terms of 50-50s and double-ups and head-to-heads if there's more action there. And then you're just going to get natural diversification. If you're somebody that likes to play one cash game lineup, in theory, forcing diversification on one site is suboptimal if you find a lineup that you really like. But if you're playing on multiple sites, then you're just naturally going to diversify your lineups without uh, forcing it and theoretically can have three or four optimal lineups without forcing that diversification. You're just going to get a different player pool. Like I said, um, players you're not used to, you might find some, some worse players. And I think something that flies under the radar is just if you're on a losing streak, something as simple as a different user interface, a different scenery, a different game structure can kind of get your neurons firing, get you off autopilot. And uh, just that change of scenery might be able to help you uh, when you're on a losing streak. And then how does my bankroll management differ if I'm playing multiple sites? It, it really doesn't. Again, go back to the, I think it was the first or second question. Uh, you should just have some kind of bankroll allocator. The way my spreadsheet is set up is the second I type in how much money I'm playing for that week, it'll tell me, it, assuming I have an even split across the sites, it'll automatically set up uh, that money across the sites and then break it down based on my percentages that I want to play. If I find that a particular site has a better uh, structure for maybe tournaments, then I'll stick to that allocation of funds for if I'm playing even cash games on both sites, I'll take that. Uh, but if I like all the GPPs on one site, not the other, then I'll just take all my, my GPP allocation and put it over there. But uh, find a way to track your funds before you start clicking uh, on games because uh, otherwise it's it's very easy to get carried away. Yeah, he's talking about multiple platforms too. The pricing is so much different, it seems mm -hmm. like, on Yahoo and FanDuel, but it's both half point PPR. Right. So, I mean, at least the format is the same there, you know? And, yeah, uh, so you can just find better values yeah. or, or um, like we've talked about before, if a, if a player is a value on one site and not on the other, then you can get your cash game to exposure to him uh, where he's a value, and you might use him in GPPs where people think he's overpriced and he might have lower ownership. Yeah, and then, again, if you're... There's so many different ways to play now, too, because I don't know if you've well, you play on draft. It's like every week you can just do a snake draft and pick yep. your own team. It's just there's so many different ways to do it. And I love that you say, hey, if you're in a slump, shake it up, shake it up a little bit. It's not a bad idea at all. But for me, uh, cash fan duel, a couple single entries, a little bit of multi entry on DK and then some Yahoo from time to time. And that's about it. And don't forget, guys, if you if you have a bankroll of $100 or $50, play the free games. And then, like TJ said, play the quarter games. You know, so I think that's some of the best uh, advice you can get here. At Patrick Allen DFS, what's worse, <laughs> drinking an IPA or horrible bankroll management? Somebody knows TJ Hernandez. Um, they're both uh, throwing your money down the toilet, but the uh... – the IPA is throwing your money down the toilet quicker with way less enjoyment. At least if you have horrible bankroll management, uh, you got to sweat for hopefully 12 hours on a Sunday. If you're drinking an IPA, it's just instantly bad. Uh, at Ryan, is it Hodge? I mean, we're talking Hodge. It, it is Hodge. Right, Ryan Hodge. We all know Ryan. Um, What's up, Hodge? Is he just, I mean, he's just hanging out asking you questions. Thoughts on cash games being much harder to beat? 
each year I've, I've went back and looked at contest histories, uh, whether it be 50, 50s, double ups across sites and the, the average cash line has moved and it might be by a point or two on FanDuel. It jumped a lot last year, but that's more of a function of FanDuel moving from a kicker to a flex spot. So naturally, mostly people are using running backs there. That's going to raise point total. But, uh, there's a couple things here. Um, I, I do think that obviously people are getting more information and the games are getting harder from a, a point scoring perspective. What I, I think that people aren't doing and why their cash games are much harder to beat is they're not game selecting properly. And if you go back and listen to our podcast with Pat James, he gave a great rundown of how to find uh, the best cash games. And really it's, those, it's seeking out those single entry games. And then what one thing I looked at, not just the average score, I, I couldn't do it this year on FanDuel. It didn't make sense again because of the kicker versus the uh, the flex position. But in the three previous years, I went back and looked at not just the average scores in cash games, but the distribution of scores. And not only has the average moved up a little bit, but the ranges of outcomes has tightened. So basically, in the middle, those people near the cash line is getting much bigger, and the tails, especially near the low end, are getting smaller. So there is statistical evidence that the games are getting tougher in terms of people getting closer to a cash game score or like an optimal lineup score. But uh, I think we just need to adjust our strategy. I, I, a lot of people are still subscribing to some very early DFS tactics, automatically paying up for running back and things of this sort. And even though that you you do want to stick to and know some of the fundamentals, we have to look at what the crowd's doing and try to zig a little bit when everyone else is zagging. So uh, adding a little bit of variance to your lineup, adding some GPP tactics like we've talked about, taking a slightly less popular play in a spot if you have them equally valued, maybe not avoiding a stack or maybe not being afraid to have two or three players from the same team in your cash game lineups is something that people are going to have to start thinking about. And while it is probably going to lead to some higher variance on the weekly level, uh, your your ceilings are going to be higher, and I think that's going to carry you throughout the season. Yeah, and I mean, and again, I've told you this, TJ. I had to mix things up last year, and it mm-hmm. was in the middle of the season, right? Because I was just I was kind of in cash games. It was I'll hit one week and then I'll lose the next week. It really wasn't working for me. And I just switched it up. I just decided to go and play a just tweak a, a player or two a week instead of looking for the floor and maybe bumping the ceiling up a little more. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Always good to hear from you, man. At GoBlue43729. Ownership percentage. Talked about a lot. What would you consider a high and low in a medium to large field tournament? So a high and low ownership. It's, it's going to be pretty rare that uh, this is position by position, but it's going to be pretty rare that you see uh, a player owned 50% in a very large tournament. Now, we did start to see it a little bit last year. And again, I think that speaks a little bit just to the public being a little bit sharper. Uh, some very chalky running backs, I believe, might have reached 60 or 70% even in the biggest contest. If you have a a running back uh, that is a, a obvious free square, a backup running back on like a Chiefs offense that's autom- that we know is going to get all the work, um, that guy is going to approach that 70% range. Um, in general, it's going to be pretty rare for players to reach close to 50%. Uh, running backs are, are generally going to be the, the highest stone players. You'll see some top end receivers approach that 30 or 40% range, but as a whole, they're probably not going to be as highly owned as, as running backs. And then because 
uh, quarterbacks, tight ends, and defenses. You can only play one at each position. That that's going to be generally pretty flat. So you're you're rarely going to see a a defense, a tight end, or a quarterback above twenty percent. But we shouldn't be too concerned about the absolute number. What we should really be thinking about is the relative number. So if you have a only one quarterback owned twenty five percent, and for some crazy reason no other quarterback is owned more than ten percent, we don't project them to be owned more more than ten percent. Then there's a lot of really good leverage spots there because it's it's very unlikely likely that a quarterback is two and a half times as likely as any other quarterback in the field to outscore that entire field. Uh, so that's a, a really big inefficiency. And that's what we're looking for is the ownership inefficiencies, uh, players that are, are just really out of whack relative to their counterparts. And, and you should probably be looking within pricing tiers when we're looking at this. So, uh, running back in the top tier, maybe like an $8,000 and above running back. Um, all those guys are liable to go off regardless of, of game script. So if you have a, a 40% running back and a bunch of, and the rest of the $8,000 running backs are 15%, just like the quarterbacks, that's a really big inefficiency. And then the, the real reason we're concerned about it is because we're thinking about players that we want to be overweight on. So a tool like the four for four leverage scores is going to show you which players you should be overweight on and underweight on. And that's going to take into consideration the projected ownership already and it's going to tell you whose ownership looks too high or looks too low and again really only focusing on the players that we want to be overweight on and making our lineups relative to that because uh after we choose those core guys we're automatically going to be underweight on guys we don't like because they're not going to be in our player pool don't you feel like you've got to have a couple of guys under five percent like you don't need you don't have to have five guys under five percent it's okay to play the chalk in a big tournaments but even a medium tournament don't you have to figure out how to get below five percent we've seen last year uh some of these bigger contests uh not as much as people have thought but you need to differentiate your field from a little bit you can get away with some relatively popular uh running backs you can get away with a relatively popular wide receiver but you're going to need to diversify yourself a little bit whether it be through uh lineup generators or lineup generation or um or just the way you you build your team so even if you don't have a one percent guy you need to think about a way to make your lineup a one percent uh, lineup and that might be maybe there's four guys from one team that are chalk a lot of teams aren't going to put our, all four of those in their lineup uh, so now you have a one percent lineup because it's just nobody's thinking about doing an onslaught and we did see it a little more early in the year last year but uh, you need to differentiate for sure all right we've got a couple more questions here uh in the mail the twitter bag uh fitness underscore mc which side is best to play on edgewise look for the lowest rake uh look for the best game structure Everyone's going to have a different comfort level with uh, the the um, the scoring formats and the the roster construction. But if you're not looking for the lowest rake, if you're not looking for bonuses, if you're not looking for overlay, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, and that's going to vary depending on how new the site is, uh, what week it is, what games the sites are offering. You have to be able to do your homework, and it's going to vary week to week. And and that's probably not the answer that you're looking for, but that's how you find the best site to play on.